0: Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other, and we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. We don't gather to worship a set of rules or a philosophy. Or some idea, we gather to worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whose name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you just take a moment and be seated? And as you sit down and grab your copy of Scripture, go ahead and get there to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Judges chapter 16. As you're turning to Judges chapter 16, just listen. I want to read from Psalm 40 for us this morning. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who sneak, seek to snatch away my life, and let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, but let, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll begin. Father God, we do... Agree with scripture. Great is the Lord. That is who you are. God, you are King of kings, Lord of lords. There's none higher, there's none greater, there's none better. You reign, God. And we rejoice in who you are and what you've done. And Father, I pray now at the preaching of your word that your people would be fed and that you would be glorified. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. What well, is good to be with you this morning here? Uh, Ever River Valley, and this is our final week looking at the life of Samson. If you've been here this summer, or or these last three weeks, that's what we've been going through is the life of Samson. And so today, we're going to conclude that. And uh, let me begin this way. Let's talk about some country music. Uh, That might be safe in a Texas crowd. Um, And um, I'm not the world's biggest country music fan. Uh, i some of the stuff I turn on the radio now—it sounds different than when I was growing up. Uh, a lot of talk about like sweet tea and stuff like that, which is fine, but like just different than like you know stuff in the '80s and '90s. So that's okay, uh, but I do want to—I'll uh, share with you a song. It's by a Texas country music artist. His name uh, is Guy Clark, and uh, he wrote a song that's always kind of stayed in my rotation. And the song is called "Stuff That Works." That just sounds Texas, right? Stuff that works, right? And uh, in the song, he's highlighting not the flashy things, um, not the stuff that it's ooh and ah, but, but simple things that he needs every, every day of his life, like his blue shirt or his guitar. I'll read you some of the lyrics of the song. He says, the, he says it like this, I've got a pretty good friend who's seen me at my worst. He can't tell if I'm a blessing or a curse, but he always shows up when the chips are down. That's the kind of stuff I like to be around. He says, I've got a woman I love. She's crazy, paints like God. She's got a playground sense of justice. She won't take odds. I've got a tattoo with her name right through my soul. I think everything she touches turns to gold. It gets to the chorus, and this is how the chorus says it. Stuff that works, stuff that holds up. The kind of stuff you don't hang on the wall. Stuff that's real, stuff you feel. The kind of stuff you reach for when you fall. Man, I bet every one of us could know, man, there, there is some stuff that we have in our life that works, stuff that's real, the real stuff, man, when you fall, the stuff you reach for. I've titled today's message, What Happens When We Fall Again. That's what the text gives us here in the life of Samson as we close out his life. This is a much older Samson than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. This is now 20 years into Is 20 years later than the events we've studied of Judges 14 and Judges 15. But this much older Samson, still prone to wonder, still prone to leave the God he loves. I wonder if you can identify with that, because I sure can. And I've been a Christian well over 30 years, and I still see myself in the the life of Samson. And so today, we're going to look at Scripture, and man, there's some wisdom here that we can learn into our own lives. Three things we can do when we fall again. Number one, we repent of the old ways. Number two, you receive new mercies. And number three, you rely on amazing grace. You say, Josh, that seems pretty simple, pretty basic. It is, but I'm gonna tell you, that's stuff that's real. That's stuff you feel. It's the kind of stuff you reach for when you fall. And so let's get into it today. First, you repent of the old ways. You're there in Judges 16. Go with me, starting in verse 4. It says this, After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and see where his great strength lie, and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we each will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please, Tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Well, guess what? 20 years later, and Samson is back in trouble with lust and the ladies. This has been an area of struggle for Samson. and We've seen this, and yet here it is 20 years later, and it's returned. Now, I want you to see this. If you think about just the life of Samson, the, the three chapters that we've looked at, I want to show you the first verse of each chapter and just see what you recognize here. Judges 14:1 Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Judges 15:1 After a while in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And Judges 16:1 Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went to her. All three chapters begin with his focus transfixed on a woman. I think that's significant. All three chapters chapters begin showing us where his eyes are, where his desires are. And here we are in Judges 16, and it hasn't changed. If you've seen uh, the first two Avatar films that have been, I don't know, incredibly successful, I'm not here to say they're good or whatever, I'm just pointing something out. If you've seen them, you've noticed that the villain in the first movie, his name is General Korich, I believe, he's the bad guy and he does bad things, and at the end of the film, he's killed by the good people. But then in the second movie, he's back. Somehow, they're like, yeah, we saved your memories and your soul on this little USB drive, and now we plot movie magic. Oh, look at this, you're back alive, and now he's an avatar. It's the same guy. It's the same villain in both films. And the second one takes place a little bit after the first one. It's the same villain. Just looks a little different now. And guess what? That's what Samson's facing right here. He's facing a familiar foe. Man, I wonder if you can relate to that. That maybe something you faced before, you're facing it again. Guess what? The enemy knows the bait to put on our hook. He knows the things that are going to tempt us. And it may look a little different, but it's the same stuff. Think about Samson here. He starts out, chapter 16, going to a prostitute, and now he's going to see another Philistine woman, Delilah. And what's about to happen, if you were here two weeks ago, we looked at this, the exact same pattern that happened with this first fiance, right? Let's look at it, six steps. You're about to see it happen here. Number one, Samson is involved with the wrong woman for the wrong reasons. Number two, the Philistines pressure the woman to find out his secrets. Number three, the woman pressures Samson, and number four, Samson gives in, and he gives away key intel, then bloodshed ensues, and Samson has to pay a great cost. We saw this exact thing with him two chapters ago. 20 years later, it's happening again. And Samson has never really changed. He's never really turned directions. Oscar Wilde, the famous writer, is another man born with many incredible advantages and, and And a lot of stuff going for him. But he ends up wasting much of his life pursuing pleasures and things of the world. And near the end of his life, he wrote this in a letter to a friend. It's a lengthy quote, but I think it's significant. He says this, The gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. To waste an eternal youth gave me a curious joy tired of being on the heights I deliberately went to the depths in search of a new sensation I grew careless of the lives of others I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on look at this next part he says I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character and that what one has done in the secret chamber one has to someday cry aloud on the housetop He says, I allowed pleasure to dominate me, and I ended in horrible disgrace. There is only one thing left for me now, absolute humility. Man, every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. I think that's really wise and significant and would be something that we would do well to pay attention to. This is why Samson is in trouble. He's never turned. He's never Considered all those choices, and now he's about to pay for his continual running from God. And I bet he would agree with that statement. So let's summarize it like this. What happens when we fall? First, man, take the opportunity to repent, to change the old ways. Recognize and run from the old nemesis. Pursue holiness in Christ. If you were here two weeks ago, we said, that's the time you cross over, right? Ankles, okay, if you remember, right? That's what we were talking about, right? Turn and turn towards Christ. Some questions to consider here. First, is there an area of temptation or sin I've dealt with before? How can I put more distance between it and myself? Secondly, every little action of the common day can make my character more like Christ. So how will I focus my heart for the week ahead? Stuff that works, first, you repent, you change from the old ways. Secondly, you receive new mercies. Well, Samson doesn't learn his lesson, and he plays around, and he, and he ends up with Delilah, just like with his first fiance. She presses him, and eventually he gives in, and he gives away his secrets. Go with me to verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines come back once more he has told me all that is in his heart so the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair then she began to afflict him and his strength left him verse 20 one of the saddest verses she said the Philistines are upon you Samson And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. One pastor notes it like this. He says, the lap of Delilah proved too strong for the heart of Samson. And what a thousand Philistines could not do was done by the ensnaring influence of a single woman. The sad and final fall of Samson has begun. I would contend it wasn't the haircut that hurt him, it was his heart. For when she captured his heart, when she became more valuable to him than his God, and that's when the Lord departed, The hair was just an outward symbol. His power didn't come from his hair. His power came from God. And when his heart was captured by sin, the power is removed. Further, I think we would be wise to note the results of sin. Three things we see here. First, we see that sin is binding, right? It says they seized him. In other words, it means a loss of liberty, a loss of freedom. The enemy often tempts you and says, man, you you, you should be free to do this. And really, it's just putting chains around your hands. Sin is binding. Secondly, sin is blinding. It's as they gouged out his eyes. There can be physical damage as the result of sin. And sin is, leads to grinding. It became a grinder in the prison, the lowest job imaginable. In other words, sin leads to futility. There's no prospering in sin. There's no goodness at the end of it. It leads to futility. And I would say this though, if verse 20 is one of the saddest verses in the book of Judges, I would say verse 22, one of the most hopeful, look at it again. It says, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Right there in the bottom of a Philistine prison, Samson receives the mercies of God. In a dark remote place in the heart of enemy territory, Samson is found by his God. We said the hair was just an outward symbol of an inner choice. And here, I think now in his moment of lowest he can get, he turns to God and God meets him there with new mercies. Human hair doesn't grow fast, about an eighth of an inch per week. And so Samson's restoration takes time, but the great hope we can have here is that it's the same for us. God never leaves us, or forsakes us. If we've fallen and we turn to him, his mercies find us. Let's say it this way. Chasing sin leads to binding, blinding, and grinding, but take hope that the mercy of Jesus is finding. He finds those who turn to him and brings new mercies right where they are. That's good news for you and me today. Psalm 23 6 says it this way, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, you can't outrun his love. You can't get beyond his vision. His mercies can find you. Robert Robinson wrote, that's a lot of and wrote, Robert Robinson wrote one of the most, uh, our most famous hymns called Come Thou Fount. Maybe you're familiar with it. He wrote it at the age of 22, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's an amazing hymn. But as time went on, he began to turn away from God, and eventually he pretty much abandons his faith as the years go by. And one day, he finds himself traveling by stagecoach, and he's riding with a young woman who doesn't know him, and on the uh, stagecoach—I guess they didn't have Spotify or um, whatever—she begins to sing to pass the time, and she ends up singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing not knowing the man who wrote it is sitting right across from her. And she asks him what, she, what he thinks of the song. And he said, Madam, quote, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And Robert said that was the day when he turned back to God. The mercies of God found him. The song he wrote says it like this, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Streams of God's mercy, they don't cease. Man, they will follow and they will find you. That's good news. Whether you're in a prison in Philistine land or a stagecoach or an aisle five of Walmart, like it, and sometimes you need it, and I'll feel like, the mercies of God are there. And man, maybe you're here today, and you feel like the enemy is just, he's lying to you and saying, you can't be forgiven. You can't start again. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. His mercies are finding. They're new every morning. That's what he does. Some questions to consider here. Scripture consistently shows new mercies given to broken sinners when they turn to Jesus. Can I add my name to that list today? Secondly, who do I know struggling with how they've fallen into sin? How can I encourage them and be with them at the bottom? When you fall, you repent of the old ways, you receive new mercies, and finally, you rely on his amazing grace. Before we continue the narrative in Judges, I wanna show you a piece from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Guess who we see there? Our boy Samson, look at this, Hebrews 11. Messed up, flawed Samson. He is commended in scripture for his faith in God. And here's what I would tell you my take is what we're about to read is where that happens. This is when Samson starts to finally put his trust in the Lord. So, what's happened? He's been captured. He's weak. They've taken his eyes out. And now, one day, all the Philistine elite throw a big party and they decide, yeah, bring Samson out. Let us. Let us entertain ourselves by looking at this so-called judge who is gonna stop us. Go with me to verse 27. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson grasped, the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. I would tell you this, the alligator snapping turtle is one of God's coolest creations. It can be found in large, uh, it's, the, it's the largest freshwater species of turtle in North America. You can find these in East Texas and in other parts of the country. Uh, they eat fish and snakes, so praise the Lord, and snails and all sorts of stuff. They've even been known to kill and eat American alligators. That's crazy. Its bite is enormously strong and dangerous Cases have been reported where people have had their fingers clearly, cleanly chopped off from one bite of this turtle. And the way it hunts is really interesting. It'll lay at the bottom and underneath the water, it'll lay there at the bottom and it'll have its mouth wide open and its tongue will be out. And on its tongue is a little appendage, it's pink. And he just waves that appendage back and forth right there on his tongue with his mouth wide open. And pray will look at that and think, oh, look at that, a weak little worm. That looks like an easy lunch. No problem. Let me go get that. And they come in, and then boom, you're done. Game over. Lights out. It's it. Before they know it, they're done for. It's an ambush disguised as weakness. And guess what? That's exactly what God has set up right here with the Philistines and Samson. Things look really bad. Samson, this mighty judge who who was prophesied that he was gonna begin to to bring freedom to the Israelites. Well, guess what? He's in a Philistine prison, his eyes are gouged out, and he's a laughing stock. He's a joke. He's a has-been. He's a weak little worm. This is an easy lunch. Nobody knows it yet, but God has them right where he wants them, the snapping turtle is about to close, and Samson, at his weakest and at his lowest, here is when he calls out in faith. Look at his prayer. He says, oh, Lord God. In other words, all the pride is now gone. He's humble. When he says, oh, Lord God, he's saying, Yahweh Adonai, which means sovereign Lord, the one above me, the one in charge of it all. Right now, there's humility in his prayer, and he recognizes God's authority. Also, uh, what he says there strengthened me only this once. It's literally like he's saying just one more time. He knows now that his strength wasn't his own, it came from God. And one pastor says it this, uh, he says, the Samson narrative begins with the strong man who's revealed to be weak, but it ends with the weak man who is stronger than he ever was before. It's not a perfect prayer. He's still asking God for vengeance, but the cool thing is God says, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna give you vengeance. I'm gonna give you something better. I'm gonna give you the chance to live out the prophecy I put on your life, to live out your calling. And Samson, as Hebrews is telling us, he exercises faith. He's relying on God. And don't you know it? God uses messed up, flawed people like Samson. As I researched the life of Samson, this was my favorite quote: a pastor named Edmund Clowney. He says it this way. God had shown he could deliver Israel with an army of willing volunteers. He had also shown he could save with as few as 300 men. That's Gideon earlier in the book of Judges. But when the Spirit of God came upon Samson, the Lord showed that he had no need for even 300. He could deliver by one. And that's what God's doing. It's what God is doing here. And if we could go back and and see Jesus as a young man studying the Scriptures— As Jesus would read Judges 16, here's the thing. I think here in the death of Samson is where Jesus would see a flawed, imperfect glimpse of what he was going to achieve. This is a picture of the gospel. We could say it this way. What is the the gospel of Judges 16? It's here. At the party, Samson stretches out his arms to the pillars and achieves a great victory against the Philistines. He is triumphant in death. And at Calvary, Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross and achieves an eternal victory for hopeless sinners like you and me. He is triumphant in death. God can deliver by one. It's Jesus Christ. That's what's been done for us. Even here in the messed up story of Samson, it's pointing us to the hope of the gospel that's in Jesus Christ. And it ends with details about his burial, right? We see it, verse 31. Verse 31. His brothers and all his family came down, took him and brought him and buried him. He had judged Israel for 20 years. His story was finished when he was buried. But guess what? Judges is pointing us to a true judge. It's Jesus. And yes, he dies and is buried, but he doesn't stay there. His story continues on. Jesus is alive and at the right hand of the Father, and he saves even today. Some questions to consider. The world celebrates strong people who conquer by their efforts, while God delights to use weak people who conquer by faith in him. Am I willing to embrace humility and follow him? Secondly, God delivers by one, Jesus Christ. Have I relied on his amazing grace to save me? Have I called out to him just like Samson? What happens when we fall again? Man, we need stuff that works. Three things, three stuffs that work today. We repent of the old ways. We receive the new mercies, and we rely on His amazing grace. I remember as a young boy watching, just a couple times, the show Scooby-Doo. It's kind of weird. Not my favorite at all. Uh, It was like this weird—these people, and they count on a dog to solve mysteries and stuff, and they would talk to the dog, and it was just strange. They're like, hey, Scooby. He's like, (laughs) you know, like weird and um, at the end though they would always do the big reveal like they found the bad guy and they'd be like oh and let's see who it was oh it was that guy you know like oh we never knew right and the internet has now made this into a meme that I think is pretty funny Uh, the internet's like well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions and I'm like I I resonate with that like I, I, I feel that well here's the thing man we've Studied the life of Samson. Guess what? To close it, we have a chance to do a big reveal here. Not of a villain, though, but of God. What have we seen? What have we learned about God? What what can we reveal about God in these in the Samson story? I wrote down five things. Five things that I think we have revealed about God here. Number one, we see that God is patient. He's patient. He gives sinners second and third and fourth and fifth and multiple chances. I like that about God. Number two, I see that He is forgiving, that He forgives broken, messed up people who've blown it big time. I like that about God. We've seen that He is surprising. God, you would use a messed up dude like Samson to do your will? Man, that's good news. Number four, we've seen that God is gracious, that he pours out his love on the most undeserving people. I like that about God. And number five, we see that he is victorious, that his will is accomplished, that his plans come to fruition, that nothing stops God. That's stuff that works too. And so my hope is that as you've been here, as we've opened our Bibles, that we have a chance to learn more about who he really is and what he's really like. And my prayer is that, man, you would take these truths and they would find good soil in your heart and it'd begin to change you and me from the inside out. I wanna leave you with these two verses from Isaiah 9. I think they are a good way to finish our study on Samson. It says this, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, you are good in every way. And God, just like your word says, you, you exercise that loving kindness, you bring justice and righteousness, you are good in all that you do. And Father, I pray that we can open your word and learn truth about who you are and what you're really like. And Father, I pray that the knowledge that we've revealed, God, it would do more than just sit there in our heads, but it would make its way down to our heart and it would stir a fresh passion and a desire to worship you, to live for you, to make every single common action of the common day count for your glory. And so Father, I pray that we would worship you with everything we have in spirit and in truth every day. And that, Father, when we do fall, we would find that you're still there too. And God, I pray for those this morning who need those fresh mercies, who, who want those fresh mercies. God, I pray you'd let them know that they're already there. New mercies every single day. Father, we love you. I pray you hear us now as we sing to you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to MyRiverValley.Church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church slash give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.